us, let us know you are there. If you'll get up on your feet and work with us this morning. Here we go. Bye. 
day. So glad to see you here at Airline Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. My name's Zach. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, you should Somewhere around you should see a Connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out, and we have a gift for you out in the foyer. Love to be able to connect with you. And uh, But you can see a few things going on in the bulletin. So this Wednesday night, it's going to look a little bit different. At 6 o'clock, we're going to be going over to Laurel Park, and this is just kind of a family fun fellowship night that we're going to have. We're going to be grilling out, just kind of playing some games, hanging out outside of the church campus. And so we're going to meet over at Laurel Park and be a part of that. Then the following Wednesday is the week of 4th of July. We'll have no midweek activities that week. But then after that, we've got some interesting stuff planned. And really what we're going to be doing those next three Wednesday nights is we're going to be focusing on getting off, getting out, off, a bit, I put those two words together, uh, getting out of the church campus, and we're going to be going out into the community those Wednesday nights. And so what we're going to be doing is we've identified a few parks throughout the area that we're just going to go hang out, spend some time, and just have conversations with folks out in the community. And so we'll be posting what those parks are coming up, just so you're aware, but those are going be those three Wednesday nights in July that we're going to no activities here on campus. We're going to be going out into the community, having conversations, getting to know folks um, in our in our geographic area. And so those are those Wednesday night connects. And so just want to let you know up front, that's kind of what we're going to be doing. And so stay tuned for more information about that. And then as well, a few th other things. Um, today is Mike's birthday. Happy birthday, Mike. And so I, I told him earlier today that um, we're going to take him out to lunch sometime this week, but he has to buy because he gets senior discounts now. And then, uh, so happy birthday, Mike. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not calling you old or anything, but you get senior discounts, so that's positive. Um, I'm just messing with you. Then as well, this week, I, 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 could, I have to say it, uh, Tuesday is my wife's birthday, and so we will both be over the hill together. <laughs> Thursdays, or 30 is over the hill, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's what it is. It's all downhill from 30. Um, so happy birthday. Um, but again, so glad that you're here today. Let's open up in a word of prayer. And then we'll dive back into worship. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. God, help us to lay aside everything else we have going on outside of this building. And God, focus all of our attention to you and to you alone. God, you're worthy of all the praise we could give you. You're worthy of all the glory we could give you. So God, help us now to give you that worship, to give you that honor, to give you that glory. We praise you, Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. that I 
Justin's voice to sing it out. My chains are gone. stand here and sing, declaring that you are still good today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Even when we mess up, amazing grace is still there. Even when we fall short, amazing grace is still there. How sweet the sound. How sweet it is to know you. How good it is to know you. Lord, we thank you for such truth, such bold words that we can stand here and sing today. Father, let us rest in those words. Let us hide those words in our heart today. Father, as we go out beyond these walls, as we go to work, as we go home, as we go to our neighbors, wherever we go, Father, let us not grow tired of declaring your name. Let us not forget you are there in it all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Lord, we were able to sing of your goodness. Ah, such a good God. Thank you so much for who you are, for loving us, for choosing us. Lord, we can stand here all day declaring your praise because you deserve it all. So Lord, as we dive into the message, Lord, if one person get anything from here today, you have done enough. And so, Father, we say thank you in advance. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And everyone said, amen. The book of Haggai. We come to the end today. And so I'm, I am sad to see this book come to a close. Uh, I don't know about you, but this book has been a blessing in my life just as I've been preparing to preach each week and just kind of studying through it. But as I, as I began this series, I just kind of shared with you um, really just, just my, my heart for it. Because as I shared with you, I, I love the local church. I'm passionate about the local church. When Whitney and I, we were engaged and kind of just kind of sorting through what was next, we had, we had kind of flirted a little bit with 
going into missions, and we had, we had some opportunities there that God kind of closed the door on. And then we started getting plugged in and serving at, at, a, at a church. And really, God just kind of began to mold my heart to the local body of believers. And we, at one point, nothing against church planners. We have fantastic friends who are church planners. We had even flirted with planning a church. But God really just kind of began to mold our heart to existing churches and the needs that existing churches have. And while we've walked through Haggai, and of course this is Old Testament dealing with the temple, I believe we've seen some parallels between what was going on in Haggai's day and what needs to happen in churches today. That, the, that we need a renewal and a revival of sorts of what it looks like to be the local body. We need a revival of what it means to engage in corporate worship. We need a revival of what it looks like to prioritize the worship of the triune God of Scripture. We need a revival of that, do we not? And so we've seen this all throughout the book of Haggai, that God calls on his people and asks them the question, why, why are you living in these nice houses while the temple lies in ruins? And so the people begin to rebuild, but they grow discouraged in the midst of their rebuilding. And then as we saw last week, God's not only focused on a holy temple and holy task, but he's also focused on having a holy people, a people that are set apart to himself. And as we close the book of Haggai, we see that there is hope for the people. There is hope. And so beginning in verse 20, let's read through it, then we'll see a few things. It says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We honor you. Just as we have sung, God, we are gathered here as a people for your glory and for your honor. And so God, as we approach your word today, God, let it be your word that speaks to us. God, would you mold your word in our hearts. And God, let us leave here a people with a renewed vision for your worship and for your glory. We praise you and we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So Mike asked me this week, he said, how long is this sermon going to be? It's only like four verses. 
So it's going to be short. We'll let you out early today so we can beat the Methodists to the buffet. <laughs> got to do what you got to do sometimes. But originally when I was mapping out this series, I was, I was planning on just wrapping up Haggai in four weeks. But Clint, the more I just kind of pondered over this last section, I said, I, I can't plug this into the previous week. This, this needs its own message. Because really what God is giving the people of Israel is they are engaging in the task of rebuilding a holy temple and engaging in holy task and becoming a holy people. They needed hope for the future. They needed assurance that God was with them. They needed, they needed assurance that God was going to do what God was going to do. And so he offers them this promise as they move forward. And it's really two promises that we see today. First is the Lord's promise to intervene. The Lord's promise to intervene. So going back to verse 20, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. And so this is the exact same day that we saw last week with the call to be a holy people. And so the word of the Lord comes back to Haggai. It says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. We've already seen this type of language in the book of Haggai. That literally God is about to break into his own creation that he is going to shake the heavens and the earth, that he's going to make his presence known and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. Notice that. That God's, go, God's speaking to Israel. Now, remember where Israel's at. They've just returned from exile. They're just a remnant of who they used to be. It's just this small group. Like they still remember the good old days of what Israel used to be. And they're engaging in this task that God has called them to. And surely they were looking around at the nations around them going, how are we going to accomplish this? Like there's, there's Persia, there's Egypt, there's all of these mega powers of the world. How is this going to happen? And so what does God say? I'm going to do something about it. That God is reminding his people that he can step into his own creation and handle what only he can handle. How many of us need to be reminded of that simple truth? That so often we wrestle with things that are outside of our control, outside of our ability to, to do anything with. And yet we spend so much time worrying about the things that only God can handle. So what does God remind his people of? I'm going to step in and do it. And all of that, notice the last little phrase of that verse. 
everyone by the sword of his brother. That literally Israel's not even going to be the one that does the fighting. That God is the one that's going to be doing it and what is going to be his agent of accomplishing the task. The very people Israel was up against. That God can handle his task. God can handle his business in ways that don't even make sense to you and I. Like, God, are you going to build us back up to this great army so we can take on Persia and Egypt and we can take on the nations around us? Are you going to build us back up into that? What's God saying? I, I, don't, I don't need your help in accomplishing that. I, I don't need your help in accomplishing that. I can handle that on my own, and I'm going to do it in such a way that doesn't even make sense to you. So he says, I'm going to overthrow them. I'm going to overthrow the thrones and the kingdoms and their agents and the chariots and the horses and the riders, and I'm going to do it with them. He doesn't say I'm going to build you up and send you out to go take on the armies. I'm going to handle it. You focus on being a holy people engaged in holy tasks and let me focus on being God. What if we live that way? How much, how much headache and heartache do we find ourselves in when we are concerned whether or not God can be God? You focus on being a holy people engaged in holy tasks, and I will do what only a holy God can do. We need to be reminded of that, church. So he reminds them that his promise to intervene, that he is going to step into his own creation. But then second, the Lord's promise to restore. Verse 23, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the host, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And so not only does God remind them that he will intervene in his own creation, that he will accomplish what only he can accomplish, but he's going to use Zerubbabel to accomplish his plan. So he says, I'm going to take you, Zerubbabel, and I'm going to make you into this. I'm going to make you, notice what he says, like a signet ring. What well, is a signet ring? It was a ring used by royalty to stamp a message to say this is who the message came from, to verify its sender. So he said, I'm going to make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So not only is there this promise that God is going to intervene and step into his own creation, but God is also promising to restore what was broken. 
You see, you see Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, he's of the line of David. The great king, the, the king in which if you ever read through First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, they always talk about whether or not the king followed after David. Why? Because David was kind of the gold standard of kings of Israel. Well, not kind of, he was the gold standard of kings of Israel. And Zerubbabel is in that line, but Zerubbabel is not king, he's governor. Why? Because the people of Israel are still under Persian rule and authority, so they can't have their own king. So he's simply governor over the area. So what does God tell Zerubbabel? I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to take you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to restore what was broken. That you went off into exile and it looked like there was no hope for the people of God. And yet, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to take you. I'm going to use you. Not only do we need to be reminded, church, that God steps in and takes care of his business, we also need to be reminded that God uses people. Does he need us? Absolutely not. But the beauty of God's plan is that he uses broken people. And the great thing about God using broken people is that if he didn't, there would be no one for him to use. We talked about it last week. The fundamental belief of the gospel is that we are all infinitely more broken than we could ever imagine. So if we think that God only uses perfect people in perfect situations to accomplish his task, he ain't using me. He's not using you, but God uses broken people to accomplish his task and his plan and his will. So the Lord promises to intervene and the Lord promises to restore. And we'll go ahead and give you the central idea this morning. Then we've got a few things after that. Central idea is this. The encouragement to finish the work was found in a hope that was greater than their minds could comprehend. The encouragement to finish the work was found in a hope that was greater than their minds could comprehend. Say, so Pastor Zach, what do you mean by that? Because in this prophecy that's given about overthrowing the nations, restoring Zerubbabel. If this prophecy is solely about Zerubbabel, then we have a problem. Why? Because none of these things happened in Zerubbabel's life. Sure, he was a great leader. Sure, he was a great governor. He started the task of rebuilding the temple. But shortly after this, Zerubbabel fades into obscurity. 
We don't hear anything else out of him. We don't see anything else written about Zerubbabel. But you see, if it's not about Zerubbabel, but the line in which Zerubbabel represents, then we have this beautiful prophecy that is true. Why? Because I want you to notice this. Let's flip over to Matthew 1 real quick. Matthew 1 real quick. We're going to read through the genealogy. That part of Matthew we like to skip over. Bunch of names. Matthew 1, it's not too many pages for Malachi. Or not Malachi, Haggai. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the, son, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father, father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Amos. And Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, take a breath. A lot of names. But this says, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Iliud, and Iliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. See, the promise was not to Zerubbabel. It was to his line. That the entire time Israel was in Babylon, God had not forgotten his promise. And that God knew in Zerubbabel 11 or 12 generations down the line, there would be a man named Joseph who would be betrothed to a lady named Mary. And from the womb of Mary would enter Christ into his own, into his own creation. And while they were focused on trying to restore the temple, so that they could offer a lamb. God was preparing his own lamb to go to the altar. See, God had not forgotten his promise. 
and that walls through Rubabel may fade into obscurity. God was well aware of what he was accomplishing with his people. God was well aware of what he was accomplishing through the life of Zerubbabel. And that Zerubbabel was the signet ring in which Christ came to his own creation. But you see, the people didn't know that. They, they didn't know what was taking place. They just simply had God's promise that he would intervene and he would restore what was broken. And they just simply trusted God's promise to do that. And now us looking back on it, we see the beauty of this, that in the midst of what's the chaos of what's going on, in the midst of the burden of trying to rebuild the temple, in the midst of all of those difficulties, God had not forgot his promise and he was accomplishing something that they could not comprehend in their mind. Why? To save you and I. Because you and I needed a savior. And so Christ accomplished that for us. And so three things I want us to wrestle with this morning. Three points of application for us. First, we must have a generational mindset. We must have a generational mindset. When we look at the book as a whole, there would have been those who engaged in the task of rebuilding the temple that would not have seen it completed. But yet they still engaged in the task of rebuilding the temple. Why? So that the next generation would have the temple to worship. And as a church, I want you to hear me say this. We need everyone in the task of being the church that God has called us to be. Whether you have nice dark hair or you have gray hair or you have no hair. We need each other. We need all generations engaged in the task that God has called us to. We need each other. But not only that, they were engaged in something that they would not see come to fruition until generations down the line. And I shared with you a couple weeks ago, just kind of something God's been working in my heart is giving something to pass down something to the next generation. And I'm concerned, we, we know the statistics that when it comes to you know, seniors graduating from high school and going off to college, that it's somewhere between 60 and 70% leave the church and never come back to the church. Here's the problem with that statistic, is that most models of church ministry, those students were never actually a part of the church to begin with. 
So we throw our hands up in the air and say, they were, they're leaving the church. But we've siloed them off and said, you go do your own thing and you can come back to us when you're 18. They were never part of the church to begin with. And so church, what are we doing to pass down to the next generation? What, what are we doing to pass down something that outlives us? And this really kind of just settled in on me when we started having children in our home. Because we'll sit there and I'll just kind of rock Sophia to sleep and just kind of pray over her. Today, first and foremost, the day comes that she comes to know Jesus as her Savior. But then second, that we would be the type of church that she would want to grow old in. That we would be the type of church she would want to see her children in. That we would be the type of church she would want to see her grandchildren in. And that's way farther down the road than I'll be alive. But church, do we want to be the type of church and cultivate the type of culture as a church that it's not just about us? But yes, we want to see God use Airline Baptist Church right now. We do. But do we also want to see God use Airline Baptist Church in 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road? Are we cultivating that type of atmosphere, that type of mindset, that we want to disciple people now, but we also want to build things where people are being discipled then? We must have a generational Mindset, But then second, we must have a divine intervention reliance. We must have a divine intervention reliance. That we rely on God stepping in and being God. I'll be honest, church, I get nervous when it comes that season when we begin to talk church budgets and all of that. I don't get nervous over the question of whether or not we've got the funds to cover the budget, but whether or not our budget reflects our reliance upon God. And I'm not saying we don't practice good stewardship and we'd be unwise with the funds that God has blessed us with. I'm not saying that at all. But I believe when we start talking church budget, ministries, events, that they should be God-sized in such a way that it drives us to our knees. Where we look at it and we go, God, if you don't show up, it's not going to work. God, if you don't show up, it's not going to happen. God, we are utterly reliant upon you. As I shared a couple weeks ago, it is easy in church world and church life to program God out of things. I think, you know what, God, you can take this off. We've got this handled. Day in and day out in the life of a church, we must be 
utterly reliant upon him. That God, if you don't step in, this is not going to happen. So we must have a generational mindset. We must have a divine intervention reliance. But then lastly, we must have a Jesus-centered hope. See, the people of the day didn't realize it, but their hope was found in Jesus. That's who God is telling them about, pointing forward from the line of Zerubbabel, from the line of David, that Jesus was going to come. And that he was going to shake the nations and overthrow thrones through Christ. And the same thing for you and I today, we must have a Jesus-centered hope. We can't, we can't substitute Jesus-centered hope for anything else. I want you to hear me say this this morning. As Airline Baptist Church, I am not your hope. As Airline Baptist Church, your church staff is not your hope. Your deacons, your life group teachers, they are not your hope. What is the hope for Airline Baptist Church? It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Because if you put your hope in me, I will let you down. If you put your hope in the church staff, we will let you down. If you put your hope in your life group teacher or your deacon, they will let you down. Our hope must be in Jesus, in Jesus alone. As the band comes back to the stage, This week, I already mentioned Tuesday is Whitney's birthday. And Wednesday is our anniversary. So I, I royally messed that up. Birthday present to anniversary present all in the same week. And if I miss it, I'm doubly in trouble. But nine years ago Wednesday, we, we were standing there in, in the chapel, and, and, and Whitney has pictures of it so she can validate this. I, Clint, I was just a sloppy mess all day. Just tears, all of that stuff, just a mess. I was quizzed, my nerves were in tatters. Just a mess. And then finally it came time to start the ceremony. I'll never forget, we walk in there, pastor talks to me. He says, okay, now behold your bride. And we all turn around. And Whitney, for dramatic effect, she didn't enter in right when the doors opened. She waited for the particular part of the song that she wanted to enter into. And then this part of the song hit, and she comes walking through the door the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I 
And here's what happened. I didn't know anybody else was in the room. Her dad was walking her down the aisle. I, I didn't even know he was there until I watched the video afterwards. I didn't know my, I didn't know my groomsmen were there. I didn't know the bridesmaids were there. My eyes were fixed on her. And I think back on that. Because I want my eyes to be fixed on Jesus the same way. That my eyes are fixed on him. And I see him in his glory and his beauty and his majesty. And my eyes are locked on him. And he's my hope. He's my joy. He's my power. He's my sustainer. And everything else fades away when my eyes are fixed on him. So church, what if we said my hope is in Jesus? What if we as a church said I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus? I want to be enamored by his beauty. I want to be enamored by his glory. I want to be enamored by who he is in all of his power, in all of his might. My eyes fixed on him. So my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. What if he was our hope? What if we fixed our eyes on him? How do we be the church that God has called us to be? By fixing our eyes on him. You see, the people of Haggai's day, it was like a, a mirror dim. They had the promise, but they didn't have the substance yet. The substance of the promise was coming 600 years later when Christ came and stepped foot on the earth. But church, we have the full picture. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And have our eyes locked on him. So as we close and we go into a time of response, I just want to invite us to pray. As we close out this Haggai series, let us pray that we would be a church with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Seeking to pass this thing down to the next generation. Seeking that God would intervene and step in and do what only he can do. So would you join me in praying for that today? If you need somebody to pray with, Clint will be standing to the side. I'll be standing over here. But let's pray. That we would have our eyes fixed on Jesus and that he would be our hope, not only individually, but as a corporate body of believers.
he would be our hope. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. So God, would you speak to us now? God, help us to have our eyes fixed on you, that you would be our hope. That Christ is our hope. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond. If you need to pray, this altar's open. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace.
Some of our students are wearing shirts. They went to Fuge Camp this week over at North Greenville. And so Mike and, and Janice went with them. And so Mike got to ring in his senior citizen status at youth camp. I'm sorry, Mike, I will make no more senior citizen comments. Okay. Uh, I, I probably will. Um, and so, but no, our students had a great week. And so we got a quick video to share and then Taylor's gonna come up and share a little bit more um, and, that, and then we will dismiss.
Amen. Just a great story that we can see right there on video uh, with, our, with the words that are displayed there and the faces and the smiles. And we know that, that during that time of, of, of camp last week that the Lord spoke to them and they were able to, to see that they are created in his image. And that image has been distorted by sin. But through his power and his resurrection, man, that, that image has been restored. And we can live in the hope of that and in the fullness of that and live our lives to glorify him. I didn't get to go to camp. I had a little visit to the ER two weeks ago. Um, but I just want to thank y'all for, for the prayers for me, too, um, that, that God is fully healed and that there's no permanent damage from my little event. So, but I, I do love y'all and I thank y'all so much for that. Um, and thank you for praying for our students as they've been at camp and staying up all hours of the night, not sleeping, but God has watched over them and, and kept them and held them. That's what camp's for, right? For the senior citizen to dance and he's not paying me any attention. Oh, there he goes. Who knew that he had moves? He can dance, guys. So, but anyway, man, church, I love you. I do love you so much. My family loves you. Um, our students are thankful, and we're thankful that, that you've prayed and that you care and that uh, you continue to, to hold us up in prayer and, and in love and, and just being able to, to watch so many of you in your faithfulness to Christ. That's important to us and our student ministry to be able to see that. So let's pray, and then we can not beat the Methodist anymore because he preached longer than he said he was going to. All right. Father God, we love you, and we just thank you so much for your hand that holds us together and for your wisdom that, that gives us direction and, and the strength that you provide to us, Father, as we lean on you and rest in you and God seek you in your word and in, in prayer, Father. God, we give you praise for how mighty and great you are, for how glorious you are, that you are the image restorer, that we don't have to be uh, continuously lost in our sin and distorted from the image that you created us to be, Father, but we can we can trust in you and hope in you for this life and for eternity because you are so good and you loved us with such a great love that you would send your son in our in our place and restore us. So we love you. Father, be with us as we go out. Help us to be reminded of you often in your word and in prayer as we go out. Join back together on Wednesday, Father, as we fellowship together with one another at Laurel Park. Father, I pray that we will constantly and always uh, be mindful of you, mindful of your ways and your, your statutes and your teachings, Father, that we would follow you wholeheartedly. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <laughs>